Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. This week, we have with us the award-winning team of Ryan and Kaz Furpo, their cousins, each of whom have credits for screenwriting and directing, producing, and editing. Kaz was on the 40, uh, Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and together they had a winning blacks, blacklist script, uh, Ruin. And now they have a, a thriller set up at Netflix with Ridley Scott producing. Wow, these guys are busy. Uh, most recently, they were the screenwriters of Marvel's uh, epic film, The Eternals. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. So just for our listeners, uh, Ryan, which one are you? Mm -hmm. This is Ryan. And Kaz? And this is Kaz. Awesome. All right. So obviously you guys are related, you're cousins, but how did you, quote unquote, meet and get started in doing this? Like, did you grow up together and both love filmmaking or did you just both decide to move to L.A. and you lived in different states or like, how did it all get started? Yeah, you kind of nailed, hit the nail on the head there. Obviously, we're cousins. We grew up together. But more importantly, we grew up like near each other. You know, I think I know a lot of people who like don't know their cousins. Uh, for us in particular, we literally grew up in the Bay Area about 30 minutes apart. So, you know, we had family holidays at Christmas. Honestly, we just grew up making movies in like Ryan's backyard. We had like mini DV cameras. I remember when like the iMac finally came out and we could edit an iMovie. And that was like a really formative and kind of exciting time for, I think, film in general, but certainly for us. And then from there, Ryan and I kind of both approached filmmaking from similar sides, but sort of different aspects uh, of the same coin. Really, I went like the film school brat route. I went right. I knew I always wanted to make movies. I went to NYU film school. I did four years at Tisch and just sort of lived in New York all that time. And really, I graduated college and had this incredible like, this is a story I don't tell that often, actually, (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it. I had a friend of a friend. It was actually my roommate at the time had somebody who was like, I will pay you to write a movie. It was like a big budget Amblin movie and that style movie. And we literally like locked ourselves in this apartment in Brooklyn, like days after graduating film school and just wrote a movie in like seven weeks, like nonstop. It was like seven days a week. We lived and breathed it. But like at the end, I was like, I actually really like this movie. This is like a fun script. And uh, that project ended up, of course, falling apart, breaking many hearts, and sort of not being uh, the real deal. But what that incredible like five, six weeks proved to me was like, oh, if you sit down and you do the work, you can write a movie, and you can write a movie that you actually like. Um, so that was really a formative moment for me where I sort of realized like, to write a script, all you need is a computer and a great idea and a lot of willpower. Um, so that's, let's say half my journey, but I'll hand it to Ryan because he had his own very strange journey to Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I got into filmmaking when I was a teenager because I was a, uh, a skateboarder. I was a, oh, I was a skate rat that just kind of growing up in the Bay Area, there was a lot of um, great places to skate, especially San Francisco. So I would go to San Francisco all the time and just kind of hang out a bunch of people there. And that's when I got exposed to um, uh, a lot of pro skaters out there and got, became aware of the videos that they were doing. And at the time, Spike Jones was actually making a lot of these skate videos for like girl skateboards and chocolate skateboards. So I um, started uh, watching those and became really enamored with um, 
the filmmaking even more than the skateboarding. And that kind of got me interested in, in, uh, in, in being a filmmaker. And, uh, and so I did go to film school, but only for one semester. And I ended up dropping out um, and making a feature film with my next semester's tuition money, which was about five grand. And that basically became my film school. And after that, I just started kind of working in the Bay Area uh, in film, mostly as an editor. And, uh, and my kind of path to making movies, I decided early on was I was going to be an independent filmmaker. Like I looked at people like Jim Jarmusch and was kind of like, I want to make movies like that. How does he do it? And then I um, find out that he had this kind of like group of German film investors who basically were bankrolling all his movies. So I was like, I got to find my German investors and just they're going to pay for the movies, my movies for the rest of my life. And that's I'll be set. So then at that same time, I was also playing a lot of poker and I became aware of like the online poker world. And there are all these kids who are like 18 or 19 years old who were making like a million dollars a month playing online poker. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest untapped resource of independent film financing. And I decided that I was going to just try to kind of penetrate or, or infiltrate this community and and make them befriend me and become my German film investors and, and finance all my movies. And so over the course of like uh, like a year or so, I just started kind of meeting people really through, through the internet, you know, just through like um, online forum sites and things like that. And um, I eventually kind of built up this little crew of, of these high stakes pros who were all very successful and a lot of them had interest in movies and they ended up uh, financing a feature length documentary about uh, online poker. And, uh, and while we were filming it, actually, it was supposed to just be like this kind of subculture piece. But, uh, but after, while we were filming it, the, the U S government actually shut down online poker in America and basically totally like flipped the whole industry on its head. Um, and so then, our, then the movie became much bigger. And, and that, uh, that was about like a three year project that I um, produced, directed, and edited. And that was my first experience, just like raising money, because the, the budget was, was uh, it was financed entirely from online poker winnings from all these uh, professional poker kids, basically. And, uh, and they just basically gave me the money and were just like, there was no oversight. They were just kind of like, okay, go make your movie now. And so that was my first experience, just like making a real independent film and then releasing it and, and having strangers watch it. And, um, and, and it was a really good experience, but it was also really grueling. And I was like, man, that took a really long time. <laughs> that was really hard. Uh, and then around that same time, uh, Kaz kind of approached me um, about writing a movie together. Because growing up, we had always had this kind of unofficial collaboration where we'd share stories, make movies together, and just kind of we're, we're always kind of jamming all things story and film. But we'd never actually done something together. And so uh, he wanted, to, he had the idea of like, let's write an independent film. And, you know, you could raise some money, I'll raise some money, and, um, and we'll go make it. And that script uh, ended up being Ruin, which, as you said uh, earlier, won the blacklist in 2017. Wow, that is amazing. And I love that you literally took a gamble on your career. That is so <laughs> cool. <laughs> now, yes. If I heard right, Ryan, you said you went to school in San Francisco? Yeah, Did yeah, I, I went to the okay. the Academy of Art College or University, the Academy, I don't even remember what it's called, yeah. the Academy of Art in uh, in uh, in San Francisco. Some school. So yeah, no, it's, it's Okay, so you were on different coasts, but you decided to work yeah. together on this movie. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I out of film school and basically I went right into commercials and documentaries. So like I was, Ryan, Ryan and I, I said this before, we've done just about every job on a movie set. I've gripped bowling commercials for $25 a day in New York City. I could do location sound, 
you know, I've, I've done the PA work. So like we've done a lot of jobs and, and we really, we just love filmmaking, but what we really, really love is storytelling, you know? And I think that's a, that's a skill that'll be valuable and useful to you no matter what job you have. You know, if you're, if you're a CEO or a screenwriter, or if you're just working, you know, at a, at a restaurant, being able to tell a captivating story and really organize things in narrative can be really useful. And I, I, for me, I just, I really honed a lot of those skills working documentary, you know, uh, in sort of conflict zones around the world after um, it was during the middle of the European refugee crisis. It was something that still happened to this day, but I basically went and made a series of documentaries about that and sort of the relationships I made in Jamaica and Syria and Central America with UNICEF is actually how we sort of found our way to Hollywood. You know, I always joke I want to start a podcast where we interview people just how you got here because the stories are so crazy because there isn't some like job you can definitely get that's going to get you into the room you know we didn't have an uncle we could call we didn't have agents or managers or any really relationships here and what happened was yeah ryan was living in los angeles at the time and i was working in new york and i just we had this idea for a film and the big thing was you know we've been making professionally working in film for years but we sort of hadn't made that movie and that's really what I always tell people. You're one good thing away from being what you want to be. You know, you're, you're one good screenplay from being a great screenwriter. You're one good commercial from being a commercial director, one documentary away from being a documentarian. And that's really what we set out to do. And when you say take a gamble, I mean, that's, that's really defined most of my career is that you just take a chance on yourself. You have to believe, you know, that you can do it. And I'll just say, you know, we put ourselves through school and, you know, you take those chances and saying, like, I am going to, you know, take that time off and write that screenplay and, and eat ramen for two months, you know, and, and during that time, you'll come out of it with something you hope is special. And so Ruin, just briefly, for those who don't know, it's the story of uh, a former SS officer, like an ex-Nazi, six months after the end of World War II, who's determined to atone for his crimes during the war by hunting down and killing all the members of his old unit. And along the way, he meets the survivor uh, of one of his camps. Elsa, who's the only one who knows where his commanding officer is hiding. So he has no choice but to take her along on this sort of journey of revenge. It's, it's really a Western in post-war Europe. It's kind of how we've always thought about it and how we've always described it. And the original idea was to just make it for, you know, $500,000 in the Czech Republic with two actors in the woods. And the script is available online, I think, because of the blacklist. But if you dig into it, you know, you'll sort of see deep down, we really tried to make a movie that was mostly just two people you know, grappling with these very large, very heavy ideas. Um, that's what I'm really, I had just come from spending a month in refugee camps in Greece. And it was something that was really in my mind and in my imagination was sort of the way that generations collectively heal from trauma, the way that they deal with trauma, you know, and, and sort of migration, you know, one of the largest migration movements in human history was after World War II. And so we were living through that second event, you know, during the refugee crisis. And so I think that colored a huge part of what this movie was about and trying to say. Um, and I think one of the magic ingredients of that project was we didn't have that Hollywood voice in the back of our head saying, oh, you have to sell this. And who's, what's your audience? And, and, and you know, who's going to finance this film? It was like, no, we're going to go make it for like no money. Um, and it just needs to be good. You know, it doesn't need to be marketable. Uh, and that was, I think, this X factor that allowed us to write something I, I like to think is very special. Nice. And how did, because you were bi-coastal as a team, how did you guys decide, let's do L.A. over New York? I mean, obviously, Kaz, you already had, you know, connections in New York. So how did you decide, well, let's leave this place and go to the West Coast where we don't have 
you know. Well, I'll say this briefly, and then I'll hand it to Ryan because he's got a great story about how he wrote this thing. But uh, yeah, I was in New York for about a decade, um, and had all you know. I had a company out there that I was running, and I was working commercials, and and I love New York, but also ultimately we are Californians, and very specifically for this project. We just wanted to go somewhere where we could just focus on the writing. I had a lot of success using that method before. And so we essentially went to a family cabin in the woods up in Northern California. I mean, it was like two bedroom, had a beautiful deck. There were literally no neighbors. It was just like on a hill in the woods. And we went and just bought like groceries for two weeks, uh, a dozen DVDs for movies that were like, like this, spiritually like this, connected to this. And we just lived in the universe. So for Ryan and I, it was really our first time collaborating, but we had this unofficial collaboration where I had always been sending him scripts and outlines and he's been giving me notes. And I'd read, I don't know, like, you know, half a dozen of his screenplays over the years that I loved. And that's where this whole process began is Ryan was just the best screenwriter that I knew. And I also just happened to be related to him. So we went off into the woods to write this movie. And we just, this is only the only place we could find where we could stay for free for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was a really ideal, uh, scenario um like i said we just were totally siloed off and there was nothing else besides the script you know it was just we would eat when we were hungry um and sleep when we were tired but besides that it was just working on the movie and and um we were just incredibly focused um and a really kind of strange anecdote is that that cabin um we ended up visiting it about like two or three times we would do these like little uh, sprints basically like 10 to 14 days at the cabin, um, and uh, and we wrote Ruin there, and then we wrote um, a portion of Mimi from Rio, which is our script at Netflix that you were talking about in the opening, um, and then kind of like um, shortly after Ruin really found success and um, and kind of really changed our lives, the cabin actually uh, burned down in the Napa fires. Um, so it was like really strange because oh we my. felt like it was wow. it was like yeah it was like some kind of weird kind of sacrifice to the. Uh, to the um the film gods basically like that we got our hollywood career but we lost our like magical writing portal <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like within like days or weeks you know it was like there was a literal moment in time where i'm on the phone with our managers and they're literally like you know gal gadot is attached to star in your first feature right after wonder woman wow. and then ryan's literally on the phone next to me in the car and his dad calls and says it's gone so it was really like a crazy moment. But yes, I think at the end of the day, I have only positive and hopeful memories. And now we're going to steer this conversation somewhere optimistic and hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's do that. Um, so, you know, the, your, your film so far, obviously, um, uh, you, you, you had a background in documentary filmmaking, Kaz. But then this, uh, the ruin, you know, was kind of based on historical events, but it's a, it's a narrative, actually. How did that transition happen? And then obviously transitioning into, you know, getting a, a deal with Marvel to write something so epic uh, based on, you know, existing IP. How did that kind of transition happen? Yeah. You know, and I think that all people, I was saying this earlier, you know, we're storytellers and that's, I think, the ultimate sort of lesson in documentaries. It's an incredible way. And Ryan will say it too, to learn narrative because what you're really doing is you're going out there and you're, and you're, being, you have your eyes open to the story. And then you come back and you sit in the editing room and you're forced to say, okay, what is this movie? You know, what am I trying to say? What are the themes? Who are the characters? And you really have to shape the film and in a way, write the film uh, in the editing room. And so that's an incredibly valuable way to really like take into practice all these narrative tricks and tips and things you learn 
through four years of film school and feature writing and, you know, writing movies. And that's just something I'll say briefly because I feel pretty strongly about it. You know, screenwriting is one of those weird jobs where everyone's seen so many movies in their lives that they think they can just pick up a pen or open a, a word processor and write like a perfect movie on the first try. But it's like, just because I've been using lights in my house all my life doesn't mean I think I can do all the electrical wiring in my home. You, know, you, have, to, you have to fail. You know, you have to learn. You have to fail to succeed. And I think that's a really important lesson is that a lot of people set out and they try to write a movie and it's very hard. I'll say it. Every movie is hard. It never gets easier. But you start it and then and when you write something and, and you finish it, you know, it just gives you that little extra step, you know, in your personal process to know that you can do it. And I think that's a big uh, and important lesson is failing to succeed exists in every in industry. You know, when you play a sport, you're not Cristiano Ronaldo the first time you kick a ball. So I think that's an important lesson that I would I would sort of say. And for us, our journey was really fascinating. Briefly, um, it all was connected to documentaries. I was shooting a documentary for UNICEF in Jamaica. Ryan and I had written this script, you know, spec'd it, I guess you would say. We had it sitting on a hard drive and we were very proud of it, but we were sort of in between, we were trying to figure out okay, how can we raise money and how can we go to Europe and shoot this thing in the Czech Republic. I'm a French citizen, you know, our, our dads are French. We have a lot of connection to World War II, which is sort of where this story came from. Like we're Americans because our grandparents fled the Nazis. That's like why we're here. So this story was very personal to us. It was always connected to us. Um, and then this producer in Jamaica who wanted to introduce me to her sister's fiance. And this is a true story. It's really, truly that tenuous. And that person ended up being Sam Warren, who became our manager and changed our lives. He really like, we got on the phone, we hit it off. He was our age. He read the scripts. He called me, said, when can you be in LA? And uh, it really was sort of that magical Hollywood story. And he loaded Ruin, you know, like this script into a shotgun, basically, and blasted it out over all of Hollywood. And it sort of, she set up like 75 meetings for us over the course of six weeks. We met, you know, everywhere from like focus features and A24 to the studios. It was really like a really... A magical time period because that was when I'm going to be a little nostalgic here. That was when like all the studios were open and all these meetings were in person. You had to drive on the lot, and you know Ryan and I, we love movies as much as we love Hollywood. You know, and I think that that sort of mythos of driving on to Paramount's lot. You know, when you watch these like ten knights in shining armor like smoking cigarettes outside the studio, and then the bell rings and they have to go and shoot their movie. That's like real. It's like all happening. You know, it feels so Hollywood. It was really a very special time. And then during all that, you know, one of those many meetings, we sat down with the incredible Nate Moore over at Marvel Studios. And it was very casual. You know, he was working on a little movie at the time called Black Panther that no one had ever heard of. And we just really hit it off. And we talked about, you know, gods and mythology. And just by way of example, I studied classics and archaeology in college. That was something I really loved. It was a big passion of mine. I spent four months working on an archaeological dig in Egypt in my senior year. And it was just something that I think that ancient storytelling, I've always felt this way. And, you know, I think it's found its way to the biggest possible screen was that sort of the stories we've been telling about superheroes now are the same stories we've been telling about gods and heroes for thousands of years. And so when I studied the classics and I was looking at, you know, everything from Ovid's Metamorphoses to just the, like Homer's, you know, Odyssey, what you were really learning about is the stories about gods being sort of human infallible makes it just a little bit easier to be us, to be mortal. And so that was sort of the conversation that came up when we were talking to Marvel. And uh, it took about six months, but after you know, we'd sold that script to Netflix, we'd been working on rewrites, we'd sort of been getting our bearings in Hollywood. Nate came back, he called us and he said, hey, I have this crazy project, would you like to come in and pitch for it? I'll let Ryan tell that part. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as pitching. Yeah. So when we came in to talk about Eternals, you know, we sat down and uh, like many other people, we had never heard of Eternals before. And so, but uh, Nate started kind of telling us about the property. And then within a few uh, minutes, we just knew that this was a movie that we just had to make. There was just like so much crossover with our own personal interests and with things that we were already exploring uh, in our own work. And um, so it really from the beginning became this like holy grail project that we were like, we just have to win this thing. And it's like, obviously, yes, like anybody wants to write a Marvel movie or I don't know, maybe I'm sure there are people who don't, but basically, you know, Marvel is a big prize to, to win if you're, if you're a writer in this, in this, in this business, but, but it, so, but beyond just being a Marvel movie, this movie specifically, you know, just almost thinking about it like an original, uh, an original um, piece of IP that's not even connected to the MCU. It was just a really um, fascinating and amazing um, story opportunity. So we were really, really hyped on it from, from the beginning. Um, And then, and then the process became, they gave us um, this like 700 page document that just had all the Eternals runs and just a bunch of um, bios about uh, all these different characters, like 40 plus Eternals and just like everything you could possibly gather from that, the pre that existed in the MCU about Eternals was all in this, in this packet. And they basically were just like, so, you know, look at all this stuff and come up with a movie. Um, And so we took, we took about three weeks to kind of come up with a pitch and then we went back in and, and we, we basically uh, practice pitched that to, to Nate and to this executive over at Marvel, Zoe Nagelhut, um, and who kind of shepherded the project um, throughout uh, the whole process. And uh, anyway, we did about like two or three practice pitches with Nate and Zoe, and they kind of helped us, give us, gave us notes, helped us refine it a little bit. And then we went and pitched um, Kevin and Lou, um, and that was a really intense, um, pitch. Um, we, uh, we were like in the Iron Man room, which is like this big giant room with a huge conference table. And there's all these Iron Man, like artwork all over the place. Like Tony Stark, just kind of looking over your shoulder the whole time saying like, don't mess up. We, so we're about for about 90 minutes. We just told the whole story of the movie and the whole time Kevin and Lou were just kind of sitting there totally poker faced. And we really had no idea like which way that they were leaning. And even when when the meeting concluded, like I still didn't have a good sense of where where they were. Um, but as as they walked out, Kevin was like, "Hey, where do you guys live?" Which we thought was like a weird question, but we had kind of the perfect answer because I was like, "I live in Altadena, and Kaz lives in West Hollywood, so uh, Burbank and and the Marvel Studios is kind of right in the middle." And so he seemed really satisfied with that. And then and then and then a few days later, we got the call uh, from our agents telling us that we got the Marvel job. And it's really, yeah, the, That's the call that changed our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading about the, um, the writing of it and the producer, Nate Moore, you mentioned, and director Chloe Zhao, uh, both also had writing credits. At what point did they get involved in the writing and were you involved in, in the rewrites and stuff? Cause I guess they wanted to, they said they wanted to change supporting characters and races and genders and stuff like that. Um, was that something you went in with uh, originally or is that something that they had to add later? Yeah, I think that's well, a just, odd question because for maximum clarity, Nate yeah. does not have writing credit. Um, ah. Rarely do producers get writing credits uh, and through the WGA, you know, and especially in Hollywood, it'd be very tumultuous. We love Nate. He was there for every aspect of the writing process, but he would be the first to tell he's not a writer. Um, yeah. I think you may be thinking of Patrick Burley, who is fantastic and is yes. a, a very talented yeah, Patrick. Writer who works sort of in the Marvel system, let's say. 
Um, yeah, so the process was we wrote about, since we're just getting right into it, we wrote about four drafts before they hired Chloe. So we basically came on board and we were working with Nate and Zoe, the team there. And, you know, it really is as lo-fi as you think it would be. It's really a process of like writing down ideas on note cards and sticking them up on a piece of, you know, cardboard in order. So that's really where the story breaking begins. You sit around, you come up with ideas. You know, we had already essentially broken the structure of an entire movie and we started to adapt that structure more or less over the course of a month with just the production executives. So we wrote, you know, two complete 196 page first drafts. And then we got notes on that. We went back and forth. And so there's a whole process where, you know, you're just writing the movie basically. And then from that first draft, we had about eight drafts of the outline, which is like 35 pages, you know, and we did that eight times. And then from that, the conversation about directors began, you know, so we started watching other people's movies and talking about who that could be. And Nate had, a, you know, a great short list and we started to watch the writer and, and songs my brother taught me. And it became very obvious that Chloe was just the choice. Um, and so when she was hired, you know, when we found out her pitch was like so bizarrely similar to ours, we just saw the movie the same way. It really was like a culture match right away. And even more so, Chloe went to NYU grad school while I was actually an undergrad at NYU. And so we had a ton of mutual friends. It was a very small world. Chloe's co-producer of Nomadland actually produced my thesis film at NYU. Like that's how small the universe was. And so when she came in, we actually wrote another handful of drafts with Chloe uh, as a director and us, you know, writing that draft with her notes and making changes. And we ended up doing, I don't know, about nine probably total. And then they went basically off to London to start production. And when that process began, that's when Chloe took over and sort of began putting her writer-director stamp on the film. Cool. That That's cool. It's like great how you got to work with her so closely on that. This is something that I have a problem with because in my writing, and I've had people ask me to write some things that had to do with um, gender issues, you know, writing from a female perspective. As a straight white male, I feel uh, more so even these days um, a little apprehensive about it because I don't want to ever come off as tone deaf because like, I don't understand it from, you know, actually being any of those things. So how did you guys approach that or how was that handled in the writing room? Yeah, I mean, I'll let Brian speak to this in, in his own way, but this is my feeling. You know, storytelling is, is storytelling. You really, there isn't a, a you don't have the, the right to, to not tell someone else's story or tell another person's story just because you are not that thing. I'm not an immortal space god, for instance, but I know, you know, that they feel and dream and want the same things that humans want. And so I think it's really important that it always comes down to respect. You know, it always comes down to you're trying to come from a place of honesty and, and humanity. And it's not about, okay, well, just because I'm not uh, you know, Thor from, from this foreign planet, I can't write Thor's story. And so Eternals, you know, it was not some mandate from Disney that it should be this incredibly diverse film. That was something that we felt just so strongly about from the first second we pitched this movie, you know, because the Eternals are really a reflection of humanity. They're a reflection of all the people on Earth. So there had to be young ones, old ones, you know, people from all over the world. I mean, this is an incredibly diverse team. And ultimately, you know, they are space aliens. They're not people. So I think that's just an important consideration. And when we set up to write this movie, you know, I'm half Japanese, I'm half French, I was raised by two women. You know, it's not an accident that we have uh, the first gay character and first gay love story. And it's very tasteful, it's very nuanced, and it's very human in this movie. Just the same way, you know, we have a, an extremely diverse cast of really interesting and talented actors. For us right away, we always knew that, you know, we wanted to have 
Ajax be a woman and be a strong matriarch and to have that sort of perspective of an older and wiser um, leader, which is something we hadn't spent a lot of time exploring in the MCU and hadn't seen before. And so when we were in that writing room, even in the early, early days before you know, there was a filmmaker, we were really talking with Nate about, we really think this is Selma Hayek. We think this, you know, this could be uh, Angelina Jolie. We think this could be, you know, this has to be Kumail Nanjiani. Only he could play, you know, Kingo. You know, he has that timing. So we wrote a lot of these roles with people in mind. And obviously, if you're Marvel immediately following Infinity War, there's an incredible opportunity to cast really interesting, fascinating, and fresh faces. So, you know, if you want to get granular about your question, I really think that it always comes down to doing your research, having respect for the roles you're writing, and trying to come from a place of honesty. You know, and I think that at the end of the day, anyone should be able to tell anyone's story as long as it comes from a place, again, of, of really mutual respect and understanding. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in general, writers... Uh, tend to be more um, empathetic people and have like a high emotional IQ and have an ability to kind of put themselves into another person's uh, mind and feelings and 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 sort of determine how they would react in certain situations. So, uh, you know, like I have a pretty diverse group of friends who have lots of different points of view. So when I'm whenever I'm writing something that writing a character who is not exactly like me, you know, I, I try to think about uh, my friends who are like them, or maybe um, other characters and, and other stories that I've read who are like them, or just like Kaz said, um, just looking at the research, um, and, uh, and just try to flex that empathy muscle and, and try to imagine how they would feel and what they would say and how they would react to, to certain situations. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I mean, it's, I think Kaz has said it before, is that, you know, the things that, that, make us different are the things that make us unique and i think you know we we are we're a we're a collection of unique individuals but we're also we're all the same uh when it comes down to it you know and that's that's a, a message that you'll see in eternals but that also um goes to answer your question that um there are obviously nuances between between different people and different um um ways of thinking ways of being but uh, when it comes down to it, all humans kind of operate on a very similar level and, and want and need um, the same things. And so you just try to tap into that and um, and you'll generally, fi generally find the, uh, the truth. And what I would add to that, just from my days in documentary, is saying I used to have that, that I really like, and I still stand by, is that we all laugh the same way. You know, that's just, if you want any proof that human beings are one species, you know, that's, there's your proof. <laughs> well, speaking of writing pressure, how did you guys handle writing something that was already an existing IP? Even though I know you mentioned The Eternals wasn't as well known as like other Marvel properties, still you're working with something that people are aware of, so you have to be cognizant of that. How did you guys handle that pressure? Yeah, I think anytime you write something knowing there's going to be an audience, which is, I would think as a writer, you hope is every time you write something, you know, you, you're conscious of what people expect and what people, you know, audiences might want. But at the end of the day, you can only write the story that you want to tell, you know, because you can't sit there and second guess and say, oh, I hope they're going to like this part. And I really think this is going to be confusing. So, you know, you have to sit there and, and do the work for you and, and fall in love with the story and, and chase the things that you're interested in about that story. That's where these stories, I, that's my advice always. Don't sit there and, and try to make other people happy when you're sitting in the writing room. It will not reward you. You know, it's not going to be a process that will consistently help. You have to be aware of it. You know, at the end of the day, billions if we're lucky billions of people will see your stories 
you know, as a filmmaker. But at the end of the day, you have to be telling stories for yourself because that's when they become true. You know, they're just saying and acting. The more personal, the more universal. I feel very strongly about that. You know, when you can tap into something that's really, again, we use the word truth when we're talking about that a lot today. When you tap into something that's true to you, other people find themselves and see themselves in it. Yeah, and that's to, there's another adage in Hollywood that says, uh, "Don't impress me, convince me." Because we're trying to basically suspend your disbelief. That's the whole point of stories is to try to basically make you believe something that's made up is real. Um, and so people tend to reject things and tend to reject stories when their, their, their BS detectors go off. You know, so it's all about finding the truth of the story, which generally means the truth of you, of your truth. Um, and, it, and if you're channeling that in, then it's hard for people not to connect with, uh, with that story. Cool. As um as a writing team, we have we have had several writing teams on the show before. We always like to ask, how do you guys work together? Do you each have strengths in the writing? You know, like um, is one of you better at characters, one better at action, that kind of thing? And um, on a granular level, I'll start there because I think it's kind of a funny way to talk about it. But then we'll get out to the big existential stuff. Um, there, literally, there's just some great software that we use. It's, a lot of that collaboration started there. It's called Writer Duet, and essentially, it's just Google Docs for scripts. It literally lets you like work on the same sentence and rewrite each other and and see what the other person is doing simultaneously. So we've been using that software since our very first collaboration, and that sort of has informed the process in many ways. But yeah, absolutely. Anytime there's a partnership, you have strengths and you have weaknesses, and I think the the best partnerships uh, understand that and they help each other thrive, you know? And so for me, I'm very much like a mythological storyteller. I look at the world, I look at like the themes and sort of these big, big ideas that, you know, are very useful when you're talking about a movie, but very difficult when you're writing it. Um, and so I start, you know, sort of outside in and Ryan is just you know, the best character writer that I know. And he very much comes from a place of psychology and emotion and really breathing life into the conflict of the story. And so we sort of try to meet in the middle. And I certainly think that I've become a better writer working with him. And I like to think that he's become a better writer working with me. And that is sort of how we always talk about it. I'm sort of the external conflict writer and he's the internal conflict writer. And that's sort of where you get this marriage of genre and character and, and movies like Ruin or Mimi from Leo. And just for context, Mimi from Leo is about two brothers in near future Brazil smuggling the world's first android out of the wall in the city of Rio. And it's like District 9 meets, you know, Children of Men. And so we, we have these like big sort of ambitious movies. I mean, Eternals is maybe like one of the most ambitious movies ever made in Hollywood. Uh, immortal Space, the saga of the Eternals, Immortal Space Aliens who've watched over mankind for 7,000 years. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we were pitching, these epic love stories. Um, and so we really try to marry the epic and the intimate. And I think that's a big part of our process, certainly as, as writers. Cool. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I love that District 9 and um, the, the uh, robot Children of Men story. That sounds really cool. <laughs> um, really out there. So. so what are you guys working on next and how can people find you? We appreciate that question. Um, we, right now, during the last you know, year and change, we've been very grateful to be busy. We wrote a, a very exciting uh, globe-trotting adventure movie for Netflix called Prodigy, which is based on the Mike Mark Millar comics um, of the same name. But most importantly, I would say, we also spent the pandemic writing my debut feature as a director, um, which Ryan is producing and writing. And so for us, you know, a lot of this journey began because we wanted to make a movie. And Candidly Ruined was really a script that we wrote for me to direct for, again, half a million dollars in the Czech Republic. 
And now the last year we've been developing a script called The Motor City Girls, which is about five teenage sisters uh, in, a, in sort of a, a mythical Detroit at the uh, in the 1990s who are imbued with strange and dangerous powers. And they're sort of on this supernatural detective story to find and dismantle the cult their father started you know, decades earlier, which is sort of the reason why they have their powers. It's really like a supernatural mystery. It's a work of American magical realism. And you know, for us, it's really the launching of a franchise that really re reflects the way we see the world and sort of the, the uncanny uh, aspects of American civilization. It's really a story that we've been working on for a long time. We're literally in the process of putting it together with the incredible Stacey Sher right now as a producer. And, um, and for us, we're also really interested in TV. We have two shows that we're pitching right now um, over the next few weeks. And so we just hope that we get to tell a lot of stories You know, over the next few months. We have a, a project that we've been working on for a long time that we really uh, love is sort of a mashup of the fantasy genre with the detective story. You know, maybe if you're if you're finding something in our work that we're interested in, it's often about truth and, and the sort of the discovery of it. Um, and that's a story that we're working with Peter Safran on, uh, the producer of the Suicide Squad. So we have a lot of projects where we're trying to start some worlds and create some universes. That's something we really feel passionately about. But that said, you know, we love writing scripts as much as we love directing stories, you know, and so for us, it's really a part of, of building a career that we're proud of, telling stories we're proud of, and I think this is something I would say to writers who are listening, and it's shockingly important, uh, is that working with people you like is about one of the most valuable things you can do. You know, I think it's really important that at the end of the day, you know, you get notes from a place of respect, and you like the producers or the co-writers or the executives you're working with, uh, and to chase projects with that in mind is shockingly valuable for the long term, not just for the enjoyment of what you're doing, but also, you know, you have to enjoy this ride. Um, you only get to do it once. I was just going to say that. Yeah, if, if you want to see our ride, you can follow me on Instagram at ryan.furpo. Wow, that's that was a beautiful <laughs> plug. Um, yes, I also exist on the internet. Um, we're sort of against Twitter these days. I don't know if I'm allowed to just like, destroy Twitter, but I feel like it's, like this, it's the meanest place on the internet. So we don't have Twitter, but we are on Instagram. We're both photographers. We spend a lot of time traveling and, and documenting the world around us. Um, and I'm Kaz, That's awesome. Best of luck to you both. Guys, check them out. Ryan and Kaz Furpo, check out The Eternals, now in theaters. And thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you.